1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 8. It says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. You see three words there? Faith and love and hope. I want to continue speaking on the subject of faith because I want to learn to live by faith. I want to learn to walk by faith. I want to know what real faith is because last week we saw that there can be a real tendency for people to fake having faith. And we carry on believing certain things with no results and well... You know, we, well, we're having faith, but obviously not, there's no results from it. And we don't want to fake having faith. We want real faith. We want faith that's not wearing a mask. We want faith that's not hypocritical. So I want to continue to look at different themes. I'm going to share with you five words, Lord willing, tonight, time permitting, about faith. I want to show the relationship of faith to love, faith to hope, faith to trust, faith to obedience, and faith to fellowship. Think I get all that done? No. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5.8, it talks about the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love are mentioned together in the New Testament more than 12 times in the writings of Paul. So the part of a larger trio of faith, hope, and love. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. It says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. But what really avails, what really works, is faith which works by love. Faith which works by love. Love, And if you just back up a verse, you see the word hope in verse 5. And in verses 5 and 6, you have faith, hope, and love. But what Paul says here in this verse about the nature of faith is that it works by love. Faith that does not make you a more loving person is not faith. No matter what we say, if it's not making us a more loving person... We're faking it. Faith works by love. That means that faith, once it's received, and there's only one way to receive faith. I'm repeating myself, but you can't create it, you can't manufacture it. It's not the result of effort, it's not the result of any works. The only way you can receive faith is to hear the voice of God. That's it. It's fellowship with God. It's hearing God speak. And when you hear God speak, without effort on your part, faith is birthed inside your inner man. It's birthed inside your spirit. And this verse in Galatians says that this faith, this divine energy, this divine life that's imparted into your heart from God, what it does is it gives birth to love. The first fruit of the Spirit, if you just carry on in this chapter about the trial of your faith down in verse 22, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. 
The first thing that faith is real faith is going to produce is love. This divine energy stirring on the inside of you, moving on the inside of you, it gives birth to love and it will flow and will always express itself through that love. That's how you know when it's genuine and when it's not. If it doesn't create compassion, if it doesn't create love, we're faking it. Do you hear what we said? We're faking it. The genuine faith of God gives birth to love, and faith will always express itself through that love. So think of it, as, as, to help us to understand, think of faith as a, a living, a divine energy. It's not just us merely passively relying on the finished work of Calvary, but faith has a life. It begins to operate in us through its own divine energy. The energetic life of God is imparted to us as we hear the voice of the living God, and it always produces love. It always produces love. Now, let's not get it backwards. Love does not produce faith. That's backwards. Love will not give you more faith, but faith will give you more love. If we want to be a more loving person, we must be growing in faith. Because love is the product of faith. Anybody getting this idea then, if all this is true, well, we really do need to hear God as a way of life. Is that not correct? We need to have a living relationship with a living God, with a God who continually speaks. We can't be serving a book. We can't be serving a tradition. We can't be serving a ritual. You have to have interaction with a living God who speaks to us. And that's what this is all about. Love will not give you more faith. But faith will give you more love. So if you want to grow in love, you have to be in relationship with the speaking God. The more you hear God, the more the fruit of love will be working in us. Faith rouses love in us and it promotes the true objects of love. The truth is, if you want love, it will flourish to the degree that faith is flourishing. If we struggle with doubt, if doubt clouds our view, then it's just natural for your heart to grow cold. Is that true? If doubt is, 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 is obscuring your view, the result is the heart will grow cold. So faith strengthens its hold on God and His promises, and a result of that, love will blossom. Love will increase and love will diminish completely, entirely, in proportion to faith. And we see in the connection between those two. We want to be a loving church. We want to be a loving person. We want to be a loving community that requires a living relationship with a living, speaking God. There's no other way to be a loving church or a loving community or a loving person. We have to be where a place where God is speaking to us. 
Faith has to release itself in love. You've got faith in you. It's a divine energy bubbling up. I don't know how to describe it properly without misrepresenting it, but if I can think of it as a divine energy that's just birthing and bubbling up on the inside, it needs release. And the way faith is released is through love. Remember the woman who washed his feet with her hair? with her tears and dried them with her hair. She had to release what was going on the inside of her. She had to release it in an act of love. I think some of the greatest miracles that Jesus did in the Gospels are the ones that say this, and moved with compassion. And moved with compassion. Because what love does is when faith gives birth to love, And then when the faith is released through love, it really increases the power. Love adds power to your faith. Love increases the energy giving force to faith. Love won't allow you to be full of unbelief. If a a woman uh, or, or, or a man love their husband or wife, their spouse, if you have great faith in your spouse's character, in your in their capacities and their capabilities. Uh, If you love them deeply, you have great faith in them. Isn't that true? But when trust is violated, what happens to love? When trust is violated, love diminishes. So love works in proportion to faith. It just works that way. So think of faith and love as two oars in a boat. You need them both to get where you're going. Real faith from God is going to produce love in our character. And then it will express itself through that love. And if that's not happening, then we're barking up a wrong tree. We're following a false teaching. We're doing something wrong. Faith always gives birth to love and expresses itself through that love. And if we don't do that, then obviously we're on the wrong track. Love is the fruit of faith. Now let's look at the word hope. That was pretty fast for love, don't you think? (laughs) Look at the word hope. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope always refers to the future. Hope, you don't hope for yesterday. How many hoped you were here last week? You know, how many are hoping you could just be here last week? Well, you may have wished, but hope is not projecting its desires on past tense. Hope is not projecting its desires on the present tense. How many of you hope to be in the meeting tonight? Makes no sense, you're here. How many hope to be here tomorrow? How many hope to be here next week? How many hope to be in Railway Street next month? I mean, you know, it's projecting your desire into the future. So hope is also birthed by faith because there's a worldly hope and there is a teaching in the secular world about positive mental attitude which has some value in it but it's not necessarily biblical hope. For the believer, hope means that you have an expectant desire and you are really wishing and cherishing the fulfillment of that desire. Hope is something that warms your emotions. It fills your heart. Hope is not just a head thing. Uh, I, 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 I hope, I use that, that phrase, my, my desire is that we would be people who are not afraid of emotion. That we're not afraid to release our emotion 
to the Lord. That we're not so stoic and so stiff that, that our souls can't be warm and release emotion and heartfelt love and adoration uh, to the Lord because hope fills your heart. Hope stirs and warms your emotions. This relationship with the Lord is just not a head thing. It's also a heart thing with the Lord. And if you have hope, it brightens your heart. It gives you expectancy even in the hours that are dark and even the hours that you're fighting with doubt. Hope brings brightness into your life. While you're waiting for something to be fulfilled, hope will give some beauty and hope will give some courage into your, into your heart. Hope is a good thing. How many know that hopelessness is a terrible thing? Hopelessness leads to death. Because if you don't hope for anything, you put no effort into it. Why bother trying if you convince yourself it's impossible? Isn't that correct? Without hope, you won't give any effort into doing anything. So if you lose hope, you've lost strong desire. If you lose hope, you've lost a burning expectation. And the result is that you live in despondency, you live in gloominess, and you live in apathy. We don't want hopelessness. We want hope to fill our hearts and to warm our emotions and to make us hot inside our hearts towards the things of the Lord and we can express that warmth of emotion uh, to the Lord. In the King James Bible, maybe you are unaware, in the King James Version of the Bible, that the noun faith only appears twice in the entire Old Testament. You would think it would appear hundreds of times, wouldn't you? But the noun faith, look it up in a concordance for yourself, the noun faith only appears in the King James Version only twice in the entire Old Testament. One of it's in Deuteronomy, which says the people of Israel had no faith. And the other one is Habakkuk, where it says the just shall live by faith. The Old Testament, well, the word faith is not there a lot. But the word hope is plentiful in the Old Testament. The reason the word hope is so plentiful in the Old Testament is because those Old Testament saints look forward to the fulfillment of of promises of God, where you and I, living on the other side of the cross, tend to look backwards at the cross as a past event. So from the perspective of the Old Testament, it's hope that grabbed their souls. Uh, uh, They look forward. You and I look back to the promise of God as already in the process of being fulfilled. God has already started to make good on his promises. But that doesn't mean you and I don't need hope. Because faith, hope, and love, all three, abide into eternity. And I may not understand everything or almost nothing about heaven or about what it's going to be like in my glorified state with sharing glory with the Lord. But what I do know this is there will be plenty of opportunities for me to learn and grow throughout all eternity. It's not going to be static. Amen? I don't have a vision of me sitting on a cloud playing a harp. I think he's got far more for all of us. And eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is it enter the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those that love him. There will be plenty of room and growth for opportunities in eternity. 
But the fact is this, even though you and I can look back to the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, the fact is that God is in the process of fulfilling his promises, but he hasn't yet brought all of them to completion. My salvation is in process. There are things that are still future. His appearing in glory, the resurrection of my body, uh, inheriting all things with Christ. I'm still looking forward to that. God has started making good on that, but the, the complete fulfillment is still in the future. And that becomes my hope. So much so that the, the, the second coming of Christ, and I, and I avoid using that phrase, second coming, and there's a reason I avoid it, is because you can't find it in your Bible. It's as, as, as a very popular term with evangelicals, but you can't find it in your Bible. The closest is Hebrews 9.28 says he will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I prefer what people call the second coming, I prefer calling it his appearing. Because that's what the Bible calls it. When he comes in all his glory. His appearing. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 refers to this future as the blessed hope. The blessed hope. It's guaranteed because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That as a pledge. And so with personal devotion to Jesus gives me an inter an inner certainty of that pledge. That that hope. It's a blessed hope. And Paul says, and hope makes not ashamed. Not going to disappoint us. We're looking forward to the future. But it's hard to talk about faith and hope because talk about hope, you might say it sounds like faith. You talk about faith, it sounds like hope. Yet there are some distinctions, but it's like a hand in a glove. When faith reaches into the unseen realm and sees. It produces desire on the inside of you. When faith lays hold of the purposes and the plans of God, and you know that you know that you know on the inside, but some of those plans and some of those purposes have yet to be fulfilled. And it's faith that gives birth to hope. Hope does not give birth to faith, but faith gives birth to to hope because faith has seen the future and now that faith has seen the future it puts desire on the inside of you for the fulfillment of that future faith has seen it now hope desires it hope yearns for it hope is not just wishing for things that God has not revealed but hope is certain Because it's there, because faith has seen it. Faith has seen the future, and that gives birth to this thing called hope on the inside of you. It's a desire for future good. But hope, in order to be active in you, has to be sustained by faith. Because if faith hasn't seen it, there's nothing for hope to to rest on. This is not wishful thinking. It is the word of the Lord about your future. And faith comes by hearing God. So hope only deals with the future, but faith deals with the past, the present, and the future. Hope is the expectancy of desire, and faith is the certainty of its fulfillment. Hope is based on desires, it's based on facts, but it's been birthed in you by faith, seeing in 
to the invisible realm. Faith uh, is not only based on facts, but what gives us faith is that we have the sense of God's presence in our lives. And that's what gives power to the faith in us. The sense of God's presence in our lives. I love the word hope. I'd love to do a whole series on the subject of hope. But it's a beautiful supplement to faith. But please, never substitute hope for faith. Hope can never replace faith. Hope can help strengthen it by giving joy in your life. Hope can strengthen your faith in times of suffering and patience. But faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is not just wishful thinking. It's looking forward with certainty and with conviction. It's not just perhaps it will be this way. It will be this way. And when faith has given birth to love, and faith has given birth to hope, and these things are being worked into our character, and they pour themselves through our mind, through our hearts, and through our emotions, it should really make us attractive people to the world, don't you think? Shouldn't it? I mean, this is positive stuff. This is warmth. This is, people like this warmth. This is, we're alive mentally, we're alive emotionally with good things. And it should make us very attractive to a lost and a dying world that doesn't have hope. That can't be sure about tomorrow. That has no anchor in difficult times. You see, we always got a smile on our face no matter what we're going through, right? <laughs> hope makes us come alive. But since you're looking into the future, then I have to go to the next word, trust. Trust. I want you to look at two scriptures and tell me which one you prefer. One is Psalm 56 and verse 3. And the other is Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2. I want you to read both of them. Psalm 56 verse 3. And Isaiah 12 and verse 2. I want you to make a choice which one you would rather be your testimony. Isaiah 56 and verse 3, it says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. That's good, isn't it? Whenever I get afraid, I will trust in you. Now go to Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2 where it says this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Which one sounds better to you? Isaiah sounds better. And can you tell me why Isaiah sounds better? You know why? Because he learned to trust before fear set in. Where in the psalm it said, whenever I'm afraid, okay, I better put my trust in the Lord. But Isaiah started out with trust and discovered that if he learned to trust, then when fear would come, fear wouldn't be able to grab a hold of him. So one of them's riding first class and one of them's riding third class. It's all a matter of when you get around to trusting. Before the trial, or do you have to wait till you're in the trial before you begin to trust? Um, now, in the Bible, trust is the way you prevent 
fear from your life. In the Bible, trust is a preventative to fear. Trust knows who's in control when everything appears shaky and when everything appears uncertain. Because trust knows the character. And here where we go. Trust knows the character of the one who's in control. It's his character you know, and it's his character that you trust. If you know the character of God, there's no need to be afraid. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, in the King James Version of the Bible, the noun faith is only twice in the entire Old Testament. The word hope was there plentiful, and so is the word trust. The word trust is plentiful in the Old Testament, uh, and it's interesting much less in the New Testament. When the New Testament wants to describe somebody living in the Old Testament, like Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith. But when you read the Old Testament, it doesn't use the word faith. What it does, it shows you how they trusted. When you read their stories in the Old Testament, what you're seeing is how they had a reliance on the character of God. They trusted the nature of the one who gave them promises, and that radically affected their attitudes, and it radically affected their actions and their decisions in life. In the Hebrew language, there's five words that are translated into the one English word, trust. Let me give you the definition of the five words that mean trust. In Psalm 22 and verse 8, the word trust there means this, to roll holy rollers, you know, to roll. It means we roll ourselves on the Lord. Roll ourselves on the Lord. Another one, Job 35 and verse 14, it means to wait for him to act. To wait. If you're trusting him, you're waiting for him to act in his time. Job chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The word trust there means to hope when everything appears hopeless. To hope against hope. To hope when everything appears hopeless. Psalm 91, verse 4, uses a different Hebrew word where there it means to flee for refuge. To run, to hide. To flee for refuge. And the word that is used most frequently throughout the Old Testament is the word that means to confide in or to lean upon. So let me give you the five definitions for a big definition of what the word trust means. You're to trust in the Lord. What it means is you roll your needs upon God, followed by a patient waiting for Him to act. It's the hope when seeing things seem hopeless and it's to flee to God for refuge when doubt and fear make an attack upon your heart. To trust God means to confide in Him as your most trusted friend and to lean on Him as your strongest supporter. That's what it means to trust. And faith will always express itself through trust. 
So the question continually, both Old Testament and New Testament is, when you're thinking about your future, what do you trust will get you there? What's going to take you to your future? Now, a lot of people trust themselves. I've got to work at it. I've got to work hard. I've got to come up with a solution. I've got to do this. And there may be some, God may do that. But you know what? We can't even trust ourselves. Because it's way over our heads every time, isn't it? We've got to trust, not in ourselves, we have to trust in Him who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 9. Some people put their trust in uncertain riches. Oh, if I just had more money, then I know my future would be secure. And we put our hope and our trust in riches. Uh, the Bible says don't do that. It says we are to trust in the Lord. What is the character of this God who has shown you your future? What is his character? That's what you to trust in. His character. He's self-existent. He's independent. He's eternal. He's truthful. He's unchanging. He's all-powerful. And he also happens to be a good shepherd. No, a great shepherd. A God who's merciful and long-suffering and compassionate. And a God who cannot lie. But before you can trust... You have to have faith in you first. Faith comes by hearing God. And once you've heard Him, then you have to discipline yourself to trust what God has said. It's not just whistling in the dark. But the fact is, you and I have been accepted by faith before God. So faith is the energy. Trust is the rest on which I stand on God and His Word. Trust is my response to hearing God speak. Faith is the assurance that God will do what He says and trust is the inner confidence that will rest and wait contentedly for God's time and action. But it's not enough to trust because trust will lead to another thing called obedience. Have you ever heard of an old hymn? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When you look in Hebrews 11, of all those heroes of faith, again, the New Testament says, by faith, by faith, by faith. But that word's not in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what you do see is they trusted, and then they obeyed. Now here we've got to understand this, because faith comes by hearing. But we have to understand what it means to hear. How many parents have said to their children, Did you hear me? Yes, I physically heard you. But when the parent says, Did you hear me? It's really not asking, Did you physically hear my voice? What it means is, Do you plan on obeying what I said? You follow what I'm saying there? Did you hear me? And when you have that word hearing, faith comes by hearing, it is not just I picked up the radio waves and I caught the signal and I heard something. To hear means to hearken to. It is not just I heard God speak, but to hear it means to obey it. It means to 
hearken to it. Psalm chapter 18 and verse 44 makes that, that point very clear. Uh, Psalm 18 and verse 44 says it this way. As soon as they hear of me, they shall obey me. The strangers shall submit themselves unto me. And that's what it means to hear. It means you take it in and you allow yourself to be molded by it. It's to hearken. In the Old Testament, the only alternative you have to hearing is resistance. The the Old Testament doesn't give you any neutral ground here. It's either to hear it or to resist it. But it has a different word for resistance. The word it uses is rebellion. The New Testament uses the word disobedience. So, next time you want to say to anybody, Did you hear me? You know what we're talking about here. It's not, yes, I heard you physically. Yes, it means I'm obeying. I speak with the intention that you obey. That's what it means to hear. It means we trust and we obey. To believe is to obey. Because the New Testament, it says that Abraham believed God. But if you read Abraham's story, it says he obeyed God. To believe means to obey. To believe, to obey, means to conform in humility to what God is saying. That's what it means to hear. To conform into humility to what God is saying. Obedience is to flow out of love. We obey because we love. God's word should really be warm in your heart. It should really be your treasure. It should really be a delight. Hope has created a strong desire fulfillment. How many know as parents when you ask your children to obey that their response is grudging response. And how many know a grudging response is just as disappointing as disobedience? Am I speaking with experience? (laughs) That a grudging response is just disappointing. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, No, we want to see people respond with enthusiasm, with yes, because I love you, yes I will. Amen. You know, obedience. It's the difference between a husband or a wife asking their spouse to do something and they do it because of love or a corporate lawyer responding to a past legislation. You know, just how, what's the spirit of our obedience? Yeah, we're doing it. If we're filled with love for God, you are automatically inclined to implement what he says. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, you and I both know that not everything that God asks us to do is pleasant. Build an ark. Slay Isaac. Leave your country. It's not always pleasant. But we have to understand that partial obedience is not acceptable to God. A grudging obedience is disappointing to the Lord. It's easier to obey a hard thing than to face the responsibility 
of not doing it. Often had conversation people with sometimes the need for confrontation. I hate confrontation. Everybody hates confrontation. I don't know anybody who loves it. But you know, confrontation has to happen. But because it's so disagreeable with us, we would rather avoid it. But you know what? The cost of avoiding it is a whole lot worse than the cost of going through with it. Isn't that the truth? You know, and people sometimes only partially obey. Sometimes our obedience is prompted by fear instead of love. You know, how about Old Testament Israel? When they were in the wilderness, now the Bible says that generation had no faith, and except for Joshua and Caleb, they all perished in the wilderness. They all did. But they obeyed. Because when that cloud moved, well, it was either move with the cloud, or you're going to have one awful cold night out there in the wilderness. Follow what I'm saying? They, they stayed because they didn't want to experience the heat and the cold. They didn't want to experience the lack of protection there. But they certainly didn't obey out of love. They obeyed because there was no alternative. Their obedience was based on necessity. But God didn't reckon it as faith. It's when obedience flows out of love that God will reckon it as faith. God will reckon it as faith. The Bible is very clear that disobedience really breaks the heart of God. God gets heartbroken over our disobedience. Well, I'm going good. That's four out of five. That's fast. Finally, let's look at fellowship. Fellowship. Why is fellowship important? Since faith comes by hearing God, you have to be in relationship with Him. You have to talk to Him. You have to be quiet before Him. You have to learn to read your Bible as if God is speaking to you. You have to learn to set aside time to pray so you can hear God speak back to you. It's relationship. This is the only way faith comes, is through fellowship with God. And if we want to create an atmosphere where great faith can grow in our hearts, and great faith can grow in our personal lives, and great faith can grow in us as a congregation, it's simple to understand that we need to spend an awful lot of time in His presence. Amen. And so we don't apologize if we take a little long lingering in His presence. Because that's where faith is birthed. That's where we deal with God and interact with God. Faith comes from His presence with us, from hearing Him speak to us. Why did the disciples uh, get afraid in that storm when Jesus was in the boat? Because they forgot the fact of His presence. They didn't really know who He was. It's His presence we seek, because apart from Him, we can do nothing. In the New Testament, we have a life of faith. But the Old Testament doesn't call it a life of faith. What it calls it is a walk with God. That's how the Old Testament terms it. You and I call it a life of faith, but the Old Testament calls it a walk with 
God. The secret of all those peoples in Hebrews 11, the secret to that faith was that they had an intimate relationship with Him. They had fellowship with Him. As you read the Old Testament, you discover they talked with Him. They reasoned with Him. God, you're not going to destroy the city for the sake of 50 righteous people, are you? And, well, no. Well, how about 45? They reasoned. They negotiated. They talked with Him. The reason they have great faith is because they were on talking terms with God. They had a walk and they talked with Him. They talked with Him. They reasoned with Him. They covenanted with Him. They dared to obey. Their faith was not self-energizing. It was the product of the fact that they walked with God. And they talked with God. And they dealt with God constantly. That's where their faith was birthed in them. When Daniel went in the lion's den, he didn't go in there with lion-controlling faith. No, what he went in there with was the presence of God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into the fiery furnace, they didn't go in there with fire-quenching faith. They simply went in with the presence of God. The secret of amazing power is not in our human ability. It's in the presence of the Lord. In the book of Judges, it was the spirit that came upon Othniel. It was the spirit that came on Gideon. It was the spirit that came on Samson. That's where the key is. It's his presence. And so, the more vital our union with him, the more vital our faith would be. He's the author and He's the finisher of our faith. It all comes from Him. I can't create faith. I can't imitate it. I can only receive it by hearing Him speak. And therefore, what you and I need is fellowship. Walk and a talk. Review your lifestyle. How much do you walk and talk with Him? How much do you get alone? How much do you seek Him? How much do you incline your ear to hear him speak what kind of effort are we putting into prayer what kind of effort are we putting into bible study are we availing ourselves and putting ourselves in a position where he can talk to us that's how faith comes it's through relationship and fellowship with a speaking living God that's how faith comes So if we want faith to do exploits, if we want great faith, if we want to prepare our hearts where faith can take more control of us and fill us more for His purposes, then let's make sure our faith is producing love. Make sure that faith is producing hope in us. Let's learn, once God has spoken, that we learn trust and we learn obedience. And let's make sure... We keep in relationship and fellowship with God. And this is what will guarantee that true biblical faith is operating in our hearts and in our lives. Because without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please Him.